and the masters of the universe. So, He-Man, we meet again. I'll go if you go. Let this be a final battle. He-Man is gone. Skeletor is gone. And now... So am I. Listen, I am not nice, I am not kind, and I am not wonderful. Of course, you worthless hunk of fur. Books are the real treasures of the world. And so, He-Man, those great, gorgeous muscles of yours are totally useless. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Max and Jason Watch a Movie. I'm Jason. And I'm Max. And this week we are going to be discussing our Masters of the Universe Revelations, Kevin Smith's new animated series uh, that continues the pseudo-continues, soft reboots, soft continues, the filmation and mini-comic series of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe that began all the way back, uh, the cartoon anyway, back in 1980. Three, but the car, the comic, the, the sorry, the, but what that was based on was a series of toys called He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which came out in, sometime in the year 1982. Uh, Jason, what do you have to say about all of this? Uh, well, I, I actually I would uh, uh, I, I like what you just said about it being a soft reboot because yeah. I think that this cartoon, which, as we're going to discuss, is indeed very much a soft reboot. In that, officially, this is a continuation of the of the cartoon from 1983 that you were talking about, but it finds a way to incorporate almost everything else that has been in the He-Man mythology since. So, uh, and before. Yes, yes. Yeah. Jason, I think we want to sort of front load this episode. We're going to do this in a couple, in a few different parts as the series is how many episodes, Jason? Five episodes. Five episodes. They're relatively short. I think that, or they pack a lot of excitement. I haven't quite checked that out. Double check that. But Jason, there was a debate between Jason and I whether or not these episodes were really short or whether they were really exciting or whether they were both. Well, um, in Aristotle, Italian fashion, I actually went and used uh, the empirical method and checked. And the, each episode is 24 minutes long. Okay, okay. That's about the, the length of the episodes, probably of the old episodes. Uh, yes. We had com commercials, which yes. in the 1980s, you had to add a lot of commercials. And yes. it's about the same amount of time as uh, old uh, episodes. So I've watched the series once, but in preparation for this, I actually watched some of the old filmation series as well. Um, did you do any prep for this, Jason? Did you, did you you tap into the 1983 filmation vibe, or did you go to the mini comics? What did you do, Jason? I, I researched and reread the mini comics again, uh, and I just did some reading. I, I have actually watched the old filmation series. It's been it's been several years now, yeah. but I have revisited revisited those since since we were young. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. For, for for both of you out there, listeners, who listen to our Masters of the Universe podcast, and, and if you haven't, you should, because actually our, and this is why uh, we reposted it, our podcast review of Masters of the Universe, uh, the 1987 film with Dolph Lundgren, might be my favorite podcast that we've done. Okay, yeah, I, no, I, I I, I might be wrong, but uh, I just think that it's re it's really entertaining. Uh, if you haven't listened to it, I'm suspecting that's because you haven't seen the film. Go out, watch the movie, uh, pop some popcorn, get some friends together. It's a it's a it's it's one of those great terrible movies to watch together, and then listen to our Masters of the Universe podcast uh, and 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 enjoy yourself. For those of you who haven't listened to that podcast, we might repeat some things because we're going to talk a little bit about the history of He Man and a little bit about I think our experience of the mythology of 
of He-Man because this cartoon certainly dips its toe in those waters. It more than dips its toe. I would, I would, I would say though, Jason, that if you're wrong, you just said maybe I'm wrong about that. But if you're wrong about this being your favorite podcast of ours, you you're in trouble because like you shouldn't be wrong about what is your favorite. <laughs> Of our podcast. Subjectively, you should know your own favorite. But Do you, do you agree with me? Uh, I It's one of my favorites. I don't know if it is my favorite. All right, all right. Our Batman Returns is pretty priceless. Good point there, yeah. Um, in, in ways that Batman 2 isn't priceless. <laughs> but... <laughs> So, so we will repeat ourselves a little bit. In 1982 and 83, George Lucas and Kenner were about yes. to sort of seed market dominance in the toy market. 1983, I think, is Return of the Jedi, right? That's the final year of Jedi. Right. And there were a lot of fans who expected that there would, in a few years, be a Episode Seven, right. but, but that continued to not come. So there was... A kind of falling off. It was pretty slow, I think, for Star Wars, but the Star Wars toys started to lose uh, market dominance after that because there wasn't new content. So uh, also at this time, there was also the other great toy, I think. Well, there are a lot of great toys of the 80s, and people, you know, I'm sure people have seen the toys that made us, but He-Man sort of steps into this market and fills this science fiction fantasy niche that Star Wars had dominated. The other the other great toys in the market were the G.I. Joe figures. The, the pure science fiction figures were probably the Transformers of that era and he-man sort of stepped into this empty place in the market yeah and 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 slightly i think very slightly predated even gi joe and of course transformers came after after gi joe but uh, masters of the universe was kind of kind of the first really serious attempt by mattel mm -hmm. to to occupy the space that kenner was dominating at that time well it's interesting i was reading today that development of this toy line by by mattel began in 1979 they were trying to figure out a way into this market they were playing around with conan like ideas with uh and they had a they had a kind of a figure that they could sort of like play with and in thinking about this new era and it was these big jim figures from mattel but big jim didn't have a mythology nobody cared about big jim big jim was kind of a 70s toy i think but it was a good thing for people at mattel to start like trying to build new figures from yeah and uh i think i had i think i think we had big jim by the way did you okay yeah i don't yeah. think I had, I, maybe i did i might have had a big gym i don't remember having a big gym <laughs> i remember having a really shitty rom figure in the 70s i had that too yeah. yeah and so this was the paucity of action figures in the 70s and then thank god star wars came well but but you know just to pause right there because it's very interesting uh mattel in this case was a much bigger toy company than kenner i believe Oh yeah, well, um, Kenner kind of struck gold because and 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 kind of lucked out or stumbled upon this, which Kenner was based in Cincinnati, next to WKRP. Right, right. Uh, but but because because Star Wars was not really expected to be the hit that it was, but there was this idea to try to get out in front and and create a toy because maybe that's where the money would be made. Yeah. And so this contract was made with Kenner that would haunt Lucas for years. Yeah. Uh, and and but it was it, it was great for Kenner, which really was never well, a great toy line. No, no. Well, Kenner. Uh, sorry, audience. Maybe I'll cut this out. I don't know. But Kenner had Lucas over a barrel because every other toy company 
Anthony rejected Star Wars. Right, right. There was no movie. There was no content. All Lucas had was like his, uh, maybe maybe even like not even a full script. Uh, but he was selling these this idea of this science fiction figure line. So Kenner was able to like basically take George Lucas's lunch money. Uh, now George Lucas still made a fortune on this deal, yes. but he didn't make but as much. Kenner did. Kenner did very well. They really did, yeah. Um, and I guess some of this history is very important to He-Man because this kind of this kind of explains why the market was where it was. Yeah. But uh, because actually, I remember this. There was this massive demand for Star Wars figures. Yeah. In the summer of 1977. So for Christmas of 1977, because Kenner had not really made the figure, the, the they didn't really have the supply of figures that they needed to meet the demand. Yeah. That th- there were these boxes that you could buy. Yep. Yep. I- Basically, I got one. okay, you have one. All right, I, I, I got yeah. one. I don't. I no longer have it. Sadly, or I would. I would retire and we'd stop doing this podcast. Um, <laughs> right, uh, right, right. But it was. But it was an IOU set. It had yeah. the silhouettes of all the figures, and my mom and dad got it for me. I think for my birthday or something. But my birthday is on. Well, audience, you don't need to know that. But anyway, I got it, and I got the cards. I was like, oh, this is kind of neat. But then I was yeah. really wowed by the figures, of course, because these, these were the these were my heroes on the screen. But so you can kind of see why Mattel was like, well, there's a there's there's this market we need to get into, and and as early as '79, they were thinking about this market. They didn't get it. They didn't get their feet under them until early '80s. Uh, and luckily, they kind of it was a fortuitous timing because, as I said, Lucas and Kinnan were kind of you know ceding control of the market to other people. And anybody who could step into this gap, and Mattel steps into it in a big way with He-Man figures. These are these figures were so different from everything else on the market. They were gigantic. They were in power poses. They were rippled with muscle, and they had this really interesting mythology, which uh, I'll let Jason tackle the mythology that came with the figures because he's been, you know, yakking in my ear about this shit for years. And so <laughs> he knows everything that there is to know about the mini comics that came in these with each figure. And I think they were really neat. So Jason, take it away. Tell us about the mythology. Yeah. So uh, the idea was the, the execs at Mattel, the, the creative people at Mattel, they wanted what Lucas had and or what Kenner had that Lucas had given them. But Kenner had this ready-made mythology made by a filmmaker. Mattel didn't have that. And so they they realized that they had to come up with their own story, which was a brilliant idea. Yeah. And I, I mean, as a, I remember as a child, just really appreciating that uh, this toy company he came up with this story for me and, and for you and for everybody else from our from our generation. And so these figures would be released and it was the idea that it was called Masters of the Universe, not He-Man and the Masters of the yeah, Universe, yeah. which was the name of the cartoon. It was called Masters of the Universe. And the whole idea was that there was th- this um, muscular hero named He-Man and, and he had half of a power sword. And then there was he and he would fight Skeletor, who was this this kind of equally muscle-bound figure if you look at the, if you look at the actual figures, but uh, who had a skeleton face and a purple hood and a staff and he had the other half of the power sword which uh, in the toy the two could be could be mushed together yep. and and there was kind of this idea that they were fighting over the two halves of the sword and that Skeletor wanted to put the two halves together and if he did so he could rule all of Eternia which was the the world that all of these people came from and when you bought the the, the figures in 19 it was 81 or 82 when the first figures came out you know the year I, I thought it was 82 I mean, but let me double check. You thought it was 82. Uh, 
uh, I'm just going to go with that, 82. Uh, That when the first figures came out, there was no cartoon, there was none of that. And they would come with these mini comics, kind of told the background story of Eternia. And what's very interesting in the history of the toy is that the first year that the toy came out, there were four mini comics. And and you can find these online. Uh, There is a website uh, where actually all of the mini comics, or almost all of them, or most of them, from the run of the toy uh, can be accessed and read. Um, but the the original four mini comics have a somewhat different mythology than what would come later. The original myth- Jason, uh, 1981 was when the wa- first, was wave of, first wave of the Masters of the Universe figures came out. So the figures, sorry, I'm interrupting Jason. I'm an asshole. I do it a lot. Jason fucking tweets about it all the time from his secret accounts. The first, uh, the heroic warriors were He-Man, Man-at-Arms, Stratos, Tila, evil warriors, Beastman, Merman, Skeletor, Neutral, Non-Aligned, Zodak with a C, Creatures, Battle Cat, Screech, Vehicles, Battle Ram, Wind Raider, Playsets, Castle Grayskull. That was Wave 1, 1981. Sorry, Jason, continue. I might have had all those, actually. I might have had all those. I didn't have Grayskull. I didn't have Grayskull and I didn't have (laughs) the vehicles, but I had all the figures. Could you repeat what you had again? Folks, it was at this point that Jason's internet went haywire, largely owing to an adventurous cat and a terribly placed router. I'm going to try to blend our take one with our take two. There may be some disconnect between what we were talking about in the moments just before this sidebar and the moments just after. But hopefully it all runs together pretty nicely and you guys still enjoy the show despite our technical difficulties and despite the fact that I'm not a great editor. So into the sidebar. A big shout out to my daughter, Anya, for stepping up and uh, helping us out with the show and helping us to get something out on Tuesday. But that brings us back to Masters of the Universe Revelation. Uh, that show is a show uh, released just this year on Netflix, directed by Kevin Smith, partly written by Kevin Smith. He's considered a story editor, I guess. I'm sure it was a big Mattel, probably a group project on the story. But it stars Chris It stars uh, Chris Wood as He-Man, uh, probably Prince Adam too, uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar as Tila, Lena Headey as Evil Lynn. Lena was with us for uh, Gunpowder Milkshake. Mark Hamill as Skeletor. Tiffany Smith as Andra. Diedrich Bader as Trapjaw. He doesn't have a lot to say, you know, but but he's he's a great actor. You guys know him. Liam Cunningham as Man in Arms. Great voice for that. Susan Eisenberg as the Sorceress. Justin Long as Roboto. Griffin Newman as Orko. Oh my God. Kevin Michael Richardson as Beastman. Uh, I'll get to why that's a surprise. You didn't know this? I didn't know this. I thought it was Clancy Brown. (laughs) Sounds like Clancy Brown. Okay. Henry Rollins as Triclops. You know, Henry Rollins sounds exactly like Triclops. Stephen Root as Cringer. I don't know some of the... Dennis Haysbert as King Grayskull. That's a good guy. Uh, Jay Tavar as Wundar. Alan Oppenheimer as Mossman. And Alan Oppenheimer, we all owe a debt of gratitude to for voicing the original Skeletor. Cree Summer as Priestess. I don't know who that is. Jason, do you know who that is? No, actually, I think that I wondered that myself. I, I don't remember a Priestess. So, might not have appeared yet. Um, so in the in our first take, and you guys will hear some of this, we discuss a little bit about the origin of He-Man and the kind of world building that that uh, Mattel did. But I would urge a lot of you to go to to two sources. Well, actually, three sources for for a, a deeper dive into all this material. Jason and I aren't going to cover a lot of that here. See the episode on the Masters of the Universe figures in the Toys That Made Us, which is also on Netflix, and it's really great. Uh, a nice insight into the weird and crazy characters that created 
He-Man and his and his colorful world. There's also a longer documentary that goes in even more detail about He-Man and She-Ra called The Power of Grayskull. It's on Netflix. It's a slightly longer episode, uh, a slightly longer documentary. And then if you want like print materials, uh, Dark Horse Comics has produced a really nice set uh, re- of reference materials on He-Man that kind of is like an index to all the toys. There's a glossary uh, that describes each, each episode uh, of the original filmation show. So there's a, there's several different resources and I'll try and put links to them in the, in the episode uh, p- blurb on, a podca- on our podcatchers. But Jason and I are going to talk a little bit about how the world of He-Man was built through the mini comics, comic books, and the filmation series. And that kind of will lead us into Masters of the Universe Revelation. And when we left off before Jason and I had really well-founded worries about being sucked into a computer world, <laughs> uh, Jason was talking about how great the mini comics were. And, and so I'll just let Jason kind of take it away here. Jason has always sung the praises of the mini comics. The mini comics folks were these little three by four inch comic books. They weren't very long. They came with each figure and they often had like an origin story or some story about each figure in the pack. And that would remain true of the Masters of the Universe figures for a long time. There, there were many comics included with the figures for, for years. However, I, I, I want to dwell for a few moments on the first four when the figures were first released, there was no cartoon at this time. This would be 1981. And the figures would come with these mini comics, which were written by people who were employed by Mattel to try to create a story, really to compete with Kenner and the pre-made story that they had for Star Wars that George Lucas had provided for them. But but it's very interesting. The, the, the original mini comics, the original four, are very different in mythology and how the characters are written than than the cartoon would be. And of course, when the cartoon came along, the filmation cartoon, the mini comics continued to be produced, but they began to kind of mimic the cartoon. We have the introduction of Prince Adam at that point. However, in the original comic, uh, the original mini comic, which by the way, by the way, um, I, I have not been able to find this, but I do believe that the fan culture in the last couple decades, I, I think I looked this up 15 years ago, and I believe that fans had kind of as shorthand for the first four mini comics had used the term preternia. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That'll come up when we talk more about uh, Revelation in a bit. Right. Right. So, but uh, but the original four comics. I think later fans of Masters of the Universe uh, might read these comics and kind of scratch their heads because the mythology is very different. Uh, there's no Prince Adam. Uh, He-Man is not the son of King Randor and Queen Marlena. There's no evidence that there even is a king and queen of Eternia. You kind of get the sense in the, in the mini comics that Eternia was once a place of sorcery and science, that the two things coexisted side by side. And there was this, there, there was this great war and everything was lost. And now um, science and magic still exist, but there's very few people that actually understand them. And He-Man, and that's his name, he's not Prince Adam, He-Man is, is the member of this tribe of people who live very simply. They're, they look like they're hunter-gatherers. But the, the comic begins, He-Man, uh, he bids farewell to his people because he's going to go out. He knows that Eternia is facing the forces of evil and so he goes out to try to kind of kind of win his fortune it's very conan like yeah yeah uh, yeah and uh and and he goes forth and he actually rescues uh the sorceress uh who 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 is a uh, 
who is a character in the um, in the cartoon. However, in this mini comic, she looks like Tila uh, uh, because, as you'll remember, and 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 uh, fans will know, the original uh, Tila figure she had a, a, a kind of a serpent headdress, yeah, like like a cobra uh, yeah. with its hood out. And if you took the headdress off, which I did, yeah, because T- because Tila didn't have that in the cartoon, yeah. she looked like the Tila from the cartoon. Well, in the mini comic, Tila and the sorceress looked very similar, and it was established that there was a bond between the two of them. And but but it was the sorceress that had, and I think she, I think she was green skin, and and she had uh, this, she had the cobra headdress. He Man saves her, and as a reward, she gives him his his armor, his battle axe, all the weapons that he needs to to defend Eternia, because he he has proved himself worthy. And and the first comic is He Man's first introduction to Skeletor, and 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 the story tells about how Skeletor is this creature from another dimension, and he comes to to Eternia, and his goal is to unlock the secrets of Castle Grayskull, which uh, contain these these vast secrets from an age uh, from long ago that and and no one no one knows any of this information anymore so if skeletor gets this information he will be able to easily dominate the universe and He-Man is kind of chosen as as the defender of Grayskull, and he has to 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 defend the secrets of the castle. And uh, in that comic, there's a the spirit of the castle is is an actual character. And in the first four comics, they're just little mini adventures. Tila is introduced, Skeletor and his henchmen, usually uh, Beast Man, but Merman gets a a, a a special a special issue. But but it's all very different. Eternia is a much more primitive place. It contains this weird hybrid of science and magic, but there's no sense that there's really any political structure remaining at all. It's a very different aesthetic than what we would get not only in the cartoon, but in the very next series of mini comics. Yes, yes. Because because really, after those first four, the storyline shifts pretty radically. And as a child, I noticed it and was a little bothered by it. It, it didn't. It didn't scare me away, but I I loved the original Preternia comics so much that my my original attachment to Masters of the Universe was those mini comics and the fact that there were the uh, the two swords of power and and of course the way the figures were configured Skeletor had a sword of power and He-Man had a sword of power and and uh, you could actually press the two together into one. And and so there was always this, uh, you know, Skeletor wanted to to put them both together because then he would have ultimate power. Yep. That was lost later. In well, fact, yep. it was lost. It was lost very quickly. I think. I don't think it comes up in the filmation show at all. It's never. And Skeletor didn't have a sword at all. No, he had the he had the havoc staff and the shaping staff. He had like two magical weapons. Well, I mean, yes. I suppose the, I suppose the 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 power sword is also a magical weapon now that I think about it. But he did but, not have it. He did not have it in the cartoon. No. And I noticed that because my original idea of what Masters of the Universe was, He Man has a half, Skeletor has a half. Skeletor wants to put the two together. He Man's got to protect his half and the secrets of Castle Grey Skull. That was enough for my imagination. And by the way, mm-hmm. Masters of the Universe, the very title of the toy. Today, people just say He Man figures. Yeah. And and in fact, I think by the mid '80s, that's what people said. Oh yeah. You know, and the and the cartoon was called He Man and the Masters of the Universe. Yes, yes. I I, I actually felt that the the original mini comic made a little bit more of the masters of the universe idea that you know these figures are fighting to see who is going to be the most powerful and and if if he-man wins then eternia is protected 
because He-Man will not abuse that power, yeah. whereas Skeletor uh, will abuse that power and to dominate everyone else. And it is a battle between the masters of the universe, the most powerful creatures yeah. in the universe. This doesn't come up later. No, no. Do you agree, do you agree with that? No, I totally agree with that. And I mean, that was sort of the idea of uh, among the toy creators, too. I would like to point out, I was just going to start laying some track now. Tila is one of the masters of the universe. Yeah, yeah, totally. I'm going to put that, I'm going to put that out now and uh, it'll come up in later episodes or maybe later in this episode. But absolutely. And so it's interesting, though, because this is one of the things that, you know, modern fans are, they're, they're pining for their, uh, the thing that made them really happy. But I don't know if everybody who's worried about the new show has the same He-Man content, the same masters of the universe content in their mind. As Jason just pointed out, the original toys had a had a had a mythology that was not radically different but quite different from the filmation show that we would later get the the yes. comics and the toys the newspaper comics i mean one of the reasons why we're having a masters of the universe show now is because he-man is a property that 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 creators that studios have been trying to figure out how to get back on the screen because it used to be when star wars faded he-man was for a while the hottest toy on the market for for in 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 male action figure toys and 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 just and in the fantasy genre. Absolutely, absolutely. They, there was a newspaper comic. There have been several different comic companies that have had comics. There was the Filmation Show, which ran for years and was mm-hmm. incredibly popular, even though it changed what Jason liked most about the show. Which And, and of course, Mattel was also trying to figure out a way into that Conan market because Conan was really popular, but nobody had Conan figures because the Conan movies had had a lot of nudity and violence and really it was really bloodthirsty, you know? And so there was no really easy way in for people to capitalize on Conan. And then once you get past, even if you could have done that, then kids are going to want to read the original Ron Howard stories. And then they're going to be like, holy crap, this guy's racist as hell. <laughs> Do you remember Black Star? I don't remember. I mean, I've heard the name. I don't remember Black Star. Black Star is even a, is even a little closer in terms of uh, two, two swords of power. Okay. One we one and actually it was from eighty one. Okay. It was from eighty one, so it was actually developed at the same time. The, the whole point of the of the cartoon, mm-hmm. uh, John Blackstar. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, was an uh, he's an astronaut, and he ends up on this planet. He gets half of this sword. Yeah, yeah. And he fights uh, this villain who has the other half of the sword. Okay. And he has to he has to keep the two halves from coming together. Um, it's actually very very similar, like Thunder the Barbarian. This was a yep cartoon that did not last very long at all. I mean, I'm not even sure if it had 10 episodes, but I, I watched it. I, I liked it a lot. It was a filmation. I, I, I liked Black Star a lot. I liked Thundar a lot. In fact, I, I probably wanted the, the He-Man and the Masters of the Universe cartoon to be even more like those cartoons. Yeah. But I specifically wanted it to be like those early mini comics. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, and and the the filmation show doesn't do that. The filmation show pivots more towards a. It's still this. It's still sorcery and science, but it does seem like it's almost Middle Ages political structures. Whereas, well, you know, we have uh, kings and courts and uh, kingdoms. We have He Man now has an alter ego, and his alter ego yeah. is Prince Adam. It's one of the more absurd conceits of the show because like there is Jason said you know the only difference between He-Man and Prince Adam in the old filmation show is that Prince Adam was a, a 
He-Man's a little more tan and Prince Adam just wears a, a pink shirt. So yeah. I've always, you know, so as I got older, I, I, I kind of had this hypothesis that everybody just knew and they just kind of let Prince Adam pretend that nobody knew he was right. he was He-Man just because he seemed like he was having fun with that little secret. Let him have his little secret. Otherwise, a lot of the things that you you described kind of hold over. Skeletor still wants to get into Grayskull and get all of the secrets of the universe because they're still locked up in Grayskull. Right. Which I, one of the things I've always liked about Grayskull is that it, it doesn't seem like a place that is aligned necessarily with good or evil. Right. It's whoever has the power. And, and I tell you, one of the things that's good about this is that because we want to watch our people on, on a screen, Filmation gave us a cartoon that fans of the toys could watch and maybe get some ideas about some way they might like to play with the figures. But because of the mini comics, um, which were retconned, as you said, to kind of get in line with the Filmation show, we could always go back and forth between those two interpretations of He-Man and as kids play in whatever way we wanted with the figures. And so one of the things that I think made made the toy and the cartoon and all this stuff really appealing is because it was so versatile and malleable for the users of the toy, I think. And so right. that made them really popular. Just to kind of jump back to the mini comics real quick uh, to give another example of how even after the Preternia comics that I was just talking about and then the mini comics began to pivot to be a little bit closer to the TV, uh, to the cartoon series. And I don't know if you remember this. I remember this story very well. It, it, it caught my imagination as a, as, as a child. Mm-hmm. How in the mini comic, Tila is a clone of the sorceress. Okay. Do you remember that? I, you know, I don't remember that. I read, I read this today that that she could like almost fuse or become. She almost had a transformation like like He Man would have in the filmation show, where she could go from being the priestess or the sorceress or somebody of high magical power and go back to Tila in the mini comic. That doesn't that doesn't happen in the show, but but I was wondering today whether or not they didn't get the idea of the He Man transformation from their original idea for Tila. Anyway, take it away. Yeah, well, um, um, in the, uh, and this, again, this was not in the first wave of comics. I think it was in the second wave just before the pivot to the cartoon series because there's no Prince Adam. But there was a story about how you have the sorceress who in the early mini comics was referred to as the goddess. Yes, yes. Not the sorceress, but the goddess. And Skeletor basically captured her and made a clone of her, which is Tila. And before he could use the evil Tila, man-at-arms, kind of a young man-at-arms, came and rescued the child and took her and took her away and raised her. Okay. Okay. And uh, and then there was a there was a storyline where I, and I can't remember the specifics of the uh, of the story, but uh, in order to save the day, uh, the sorceress briefly reunites with Tila. Yes. Yes. And beca- and, and becomes whole again and and is nearly unbeatable. Yep. But because she's come to love Tila, they separate again. And 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 I think Tila's not told. Well, that, know, something like yeah. that happens in the original filmation show too. They they they've explored the different connections between Tila and the sorceress uh, in the filmation show. And like you said, in the mini comic, and I don't remember uh, which one it is exactly. I'm looking at the the thing now. The 
goddess has just laid waste to a bunch of people and whooped ass. And then like He-Man's like, uh, well, where's Tila? And then the goddess says she's here. And then she separates. And then there's the person who will come to know as the sorceress and then Tila. So they've, they've un- unmerged, as you say. And so I, I find that to be a really compelling idea. And I'm curious as to how the new show is going to tackle that. But we'll get into that in a minute uh, or, or in, in episodes in the future. But that's kind of a fascinating idea. And and, and strange thing, strangely uh, evocative and powerful to put in like a less than 10 page comic in a toy. Yeah. You know, yeah. No, and, I, uh, I, I agree. Yeah. So if people are like, what's this He-Man business? And like, why does anybody give a shit about this show from the 1980s? Well, I mean, there are people our age who grew up being able to have these really fun, imaginative experiences with the with this great story and this great world building. Um, and I mean, that's one of the reasons why people keep coming back and trying to to make these shows. I mean, they can't all be canon films masterpieces starring Dolph Lundgren. <laughs> Right. But, but people well, keep trying. Go ahead, Jason. Well, but, but you know, I, I, I agree with what you just said. I I guess what I would say, one of the great things about Masters of the Universe, and uh, this includes the cartoon, this includes the mini comics, which I prefer. Yes, it even includes the Dolph Lundgren uh, uh, film. But one of the things that Masters of the Universe did well is that it gave us a very substantive story that always promised more than it really gave. It's true. Which and you, but 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 you but you just said you know in terms of imagination, and that's what made it such a great toy for kids. Because I felt like you know they would suggest these story arcs. Well, Tila's really the sorceress's daughter. Mm-hmm. Oh, what what was that like? Where did the sorceress come from? Yeah. Um, what are the secrets of Castle Grayskull? Who the hell built it? There were always these these unanswered questions that allows a child to kind of build their own little castle or find their own answers. And, and I really think that as a franchise, Masters of the Universe has always allowed that. It has always allowed us. It's never been afraid to slightly alter characters or relationships. Yeah, yeah. But but the basic themes are always the same. And and, and I think it's kind of fun to to kind of figure out um, what the history of Eternia actually was. I mean, even, I mean, as, as I said, I don't prefer the idea of Prince Adam being a uh, He-Man's alter ego. I don't even prefer that there's a king and queen of Eternia. Yeah. But um, what was it like when they were younger? What yeah. was Eternia like when they were younger? Like, there's all these unanswered questions that if you're young, uh, and, and you're playing with these toys, um, you can make up whatever you want. And, and I think that Masters of the Universe was always very generous with that in ways that other legitimately great toys like G.I. Joe and Transformers were great for a, a, a different reason. Yeah. They, they they gave us the story. They gave us the dramatic weight and, and, and answered all of our questions and took us along on this ride. Yeah. Masters of the Universe didn't really take us on a ride. It would take us on a ride, and then we would get off the ride. And when we got on it again, it, it was a different ride. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and we were, uh, what the hell? You know, where is everybody? Who, who's that? That's not Tila. And yeah. and yet, and yet, it always worked. We could always plug back in. We could always adapt because the themes were the same. It was still Eternia. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well. You've given me another track to lay down when you said the creators of He-Man were never scared and never afraid of tweaking things or changing things as they needed to to tell whatever story it was that they wanted to tell in the mini comics, the newspaper comics, the filmation show. They're always they've always been tweaking the story, right? In the filmation show, the other thing that they did that was kind of neat, they never really locked themselves into continuity because it was it was kind of a villain of the week show. Yeah. Oh, you know, totally, yeah. Um, 
they might have a two-parter episode, but they didn't have like, do you remember what happened in episode 25, right? Right. That shit just wasn't a thing. And so they could be a lot looser with the geography, the 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 politics of the world, you know. Uh they could they could play however they wanted to because they weren't locking themselves into story arcs necessarily, yeah. you know, often. And so so that's something that was interesting because I, I folks, I watched the old filmation show a lot. I own the whole series, um, I own the She-Ra series, and they're the, the thing about the filmation show and this is the problem that jason and i had with the gi joe show is that it was definitely aimed at a, it was definitely tame and aimed at a younger audience he-man could never use his sword on anybody that was real so he's always hitting like these weird elemental monsters that are just made of rock or lava or trees or robots but although really he was usually hitting the camera he could hit earth but all of his moves against another person are actually almost it's almost like he-man knew aikido and for him of course aikido can work because because he's he-man and he can make anything work you know he could have fought the people with ballet you know because he's he-man you know his pirouette would knock anybody down right but so it was it was a really tame show and they had this like kind of a I, i find a little charming now when i was a kid of course i thought oh here comes the fucking lesson of the episode today orko learned you know yeah uh, whatever it was that Oracle learned, which was not to use magic ever. But so it was this kind of cute show that aimed to be entertaining, not challenging, really. There's nothing challenging in He-Man. It's a very it's a very progressive show. They have a lot of like messages about being nice and not making fun of people for how they look or being weak or for being another race or believing some other thing. It's yeah. He-Man was actually a, an incredibly progressive show. I want I want to I want to hang that track i want to lay that track down too a little bit now for future reference in the future episodes we have a lot of tracks to travel down yes yes well this is a new train with uh, multiple rows of wheels i'll probably super train the super train so that's why people want this he-man business that's why people keep wanting to come back to it who was i'm going to exclude a couple people excluding he-man excluding skeletor your favorite figure favorite figure yeah favorite action favorite he-man figure Favorite He-Man figure. Um, uh, Hold on. Before you do that, I'm going to write down what I think your favorite figure was. And that way, it's on record. Uh, Don't look at the screen uh, or anything like that. Uh, I just want to have evidence of this. I'm going to show it to the screen. If you don't believe me, I'll play it back to you later. Okay? Go, Jason. Uh, My favorite figure, I think, was definitely Triclops. What? Oh, shit. Yeah. Folks, I wrote Ram Man because Jason had a Ram Man that he... <laughs> I did, I did, I did. Jason liked that Ram Man. He had it so often that the springs in the legs wore out. I remember that really vividly. Um, uh, I did bring Ram Man to school. Actually, I used Ram Man a lot. Did you? The, you uh, Max it's, it's said that. what Ram Man could do. Um, uh, well, uh, uh, well, he rammed things, but uh, he, uh, the way the figure worked, the legs were together, and uh, you would um, uh, you could compress the figure down onto the legs and then there was a little switch that would pop his head up so that you could ram something and uh i i did i your answer is a very good one i i used ram man a lot yes um i remember yeah i i i I, in fact, in fact, I almost said Ram Man. Well, I was close. I, I, I'm at least happy about that. Um, I, but, but I gotta say, I, I remember the day that I got Triclops. I was very excited. It's a Triclops. Cool. Triclops to me was a character from a Sinbad movie, yep. and I, I, and I loved the Sinbad movies. And um, I, I just, he was a character that I always wanted. He was my favorite. A, a Beast Man aside, because you gotta have Beast Man there. But, but Triclops was one of my favorite. Was 
was probably my favorite henchman of Skeletor's, and I was always very happy when he was used. Yeah. However, uh, just like in the Super Friends cartoon, I always loved it when Green Lantern and the Flash were used, but they never were. I I, I, I always liked it when Triclops and Trapjaw were used in the cartoon, yep. but it was it was seldom. It was not frequent. No, Trapjaw was used more than Triclops. I was reading a little bit about this today because I was actually curious about how Triclops was depicted in the mini comics and in the uh, cartoon in relation, because I, I was curious as to how it related to the new show because Triclops is, figures prominently in the new show. Now, Triclops, I thought in the mini comic, he was a fascinating character. He was kind of a hunter and a very capable, neutral-ish character in the mini comic. Yeah. I mean, Skeletor tries to rope him into beating He-Man. Of course, that doesn't work. Work. Triclops, the original character, had the same eye on all sides, but he couldn't be approached from any angle because he had like eyes on, he had three eyes, right? And they were right, right. in various parts of his head, so he couldn't be snuck up on. Uh, I think He-Man uses like a Three Stooges attack and pokes each eye or something. I don't remember how he beat, but he beats Triclops and it goes, uh, it was an interesting comic, but I thought that was really cool. He was the most capable of Skeletor's henchmen. Because yeah. in the in the filmation show, Beast Man, all of them are bumblers, except except for Evil Lynn and Triclops doesn't bumble that much, but everybody else is like, you know, basically Skeletor's version of Orko. Uh, <laughs> right. More dangerous to have on your side than to have uh, against your enemy, right? Yeah. But, but you know, I, I think that's a good pick. I think that's a good pick. Mine is Moss Man. Now, that would be my top five. I, I, I was very proud of my Moss Man figure, yeah. I didn't like the Stinkor figure because it actually didn't smell very good. It was not a pleasant figure. Kind of the point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is a little weird thing. Like, this is the kids are going to buy it, and then they're going to be like, why, why did I get this fucking figure? In? I, I noticed that yeah. it might have been you. Didn't you keep it in a, uh, like, a Ziploc bag or something? It wasn't me who did that. So, anyway, uh, audience, if you have a favorite He Man figure, uh, even if you're a younger audience member or whatever, you know, try and let us know. Is there anything else you want to say about this this stuff before we talk about Kevin Smith's interpretation of the show? All right. We should at least do a nod to the Dolph Lund movie that we spent so much time talking about in a previous episode well, we got, I, we've got to step on that stone yes, before yes. we go all the way across the river now here's here's another moment where the creators had no problem at all and regrettably with <laughs> with altering the mythology of he-man to try and appeal to a wider audience or to, to gin up some excitement with the exception of some of the names it's almost a completely new mythology you know there's no not much eternia except on one right. stage in Hollywood where they did the shooting at grade school, but everything else is in some small town in California, I think. What do you want to say about this since you think we need to step on this bridge? Uh, well, no, I mean, actually, I think that you said all there needs to be said because it's yet another shift in the mythology, uh, repurposing the characters and not repurposing many characters and not even using them yep. uh, and, and inventing other ones. Another example of how the Masters of the Universe franchise was reimagined by somebody else yeah just well, not just not as effectively this time not as effectively but you know even in that even in that situation like when you put aside Dolph Lundgren not understanding English very well when you put aside the bad makeup on Gwildor when you put aside the terrible script when you put aside Tila not having any weapons but a blaster for most of the movie <laughs> When you put aside all that and many other things, which is almost which is almost everything. It's true. It's true. The figures. The, I'm sorry. The, the the characters 
aren't a bad fit on earth. They're really not. Right. It's a fine, like, I mean, if you can set all that aside, and I'm asking a lot, the characters work in this setting too, as well as they can. Uh, well, I mean, with, I mean. With the, with the, with the handicaps that they've been given. It's kind of like they said, you know what? Back to the Future movie's pretty good. Let's remake it, but put all the He-Man characters in it because it's a time travel movie. They even put uh, uh, Strickland, the, yeah. the the high school principal, in it. The actor, I mean, and uh, and uh, yeah, and Skeletor is a better villain than Biff Tannen. So it's true, it's true, right? I mean, well, and, and I bet when when the studio writer, the team of writers said, "Let's just put all the He-Man figures, uh, all the He-Man characters in the in Back to the Future," there was somebody whose whose voice won out and said, "Well, not all of them." <laughs> Let's just use a couple (laughs) and then invent some other ones that nobody knows about and has ever heard of before. Right. right. That was, uh, I mean, and that almost killed He-Man, but the show was rebooted in a, in a 2007 cartoon. I think they call it the Mike Young He-Man universe. It's very popular. They changed things a little bit. Actually, a lot of the designs of the characters from that Mike Young He-Man show, I think were borrowed a little bit for the, some of the character designs in the new He-Man show, the Revelation show, the Revelation show, Kevin Smith. And so, audience, I'm going to lay out a little bit of a roadmap for what Jason and I are going to do here. So we've kind of talked about the history of the toy and what it meant to a lot of the people who played with it and how the creators of the toy and the uh, and the world builders helped create a bond that people have with this, this stuff. So to, and on this week's episode, we're not going to dive too deeply into the particulars of the story necessarily. We might get into some stuff, you know, we're not going to shy away from things, um, right? right? But what we kind of want to talk about a little bit is whether or not this show works as a story on its own as a interpretation soft reboot continuation of the filmation show and and in some ways a continuation of every he-man story that's come before it right for the movie except for the movie except for the movie (laughs) yeah they couldn't figure out a way to make that work though there is i'm going to argue that there is one reference to that movie in this in this series and so we're going to talk about that we're going to talk about how it works as an interpretation and then in the in the next week's episode we're going to talk about episodes two and uh, one and two and so on down the line. Anything you want to add to that, that roadmap, Jason? I'm all in favor of the roadmap. Okay. And keeping fully in mind that Jason and I may depart from the roadmap roadmap at any time as the whiskey demands, which reminds me, I'm going to go fill up real quick. Audience, all this leads to the desire for Mattel to in some way try to tap back into this energy for He-Man and this desire. I mean, there are He-Man conventions. So there's this, this fan base that wants it. And so here we are, Mattel goes to Kevin Smith and they say, hey, Kevin, can you do something like mall rats with He-Man? And he's like, that wouldn't be a good idea. So so he creates a Masters of the Universe revelation. Jason, where do you want to go when we think about this new show, as you think about this new show? Uh, well, I mean, obviously, um, Kevin Smith being involved, a man who's pretty much our age, an avid fan of a lot of the pop culture that that we've discussed already in this pop in this podcast and another podcast. Yeah, uh, avid Star Wars fan, Star Galactica fan. Yeah, a, a fan of all these things, and uh, and and a comic book writer. Yep, yep. Uh, you, you know, somebody that's done writing. He was even brought in famously to write a Superman movie. Yes, uh, that with with oddly little Superman. Yes, uh, yeah. uh, in, uh, in it. Hearing his description of that adventure is uh, one of the funniest, uh, say, 40 minutes that you can spend. Absolutely. Maybe it's half an hour. I, yeah, I don't know. But uh, maybe it's only 20 minutes, but it's a great story. It's, uh, uh, it, 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 it never lags. Bringing uh, Masters of the Universe back is something that, that he's very suited to. Yep. But he's, 
he's done it not without controversy. I think it's safe to say. There's uh, almost more anger sites and blurbs and and tweets than there are positive things that are said about like the, the the negative the negative stuff started long before anybody had seen even a single frame of the show right, right. Um, but i thought as well that he was an ideal choice in that he understood the material and i thought would know how and, to and, do- and, and yeah and loved the material yeah and loved the material i mean this is not someone who's like he's not like um the producer of the Superman movie that that oh, the, he was at, he was asked to write well, absolutely. right yeah, yeah. so who, yeah. who who really knew nothing about Superman at all Kevin Smith is a fan of Masters of the Universe uh, I think we can assume that he digested all of the material yep, yep. Uh, probably probably when he was younger and probably digests it all regularly when he's older yeah yeah absolutely an ideal choice and so no I thought he was going to be a fine choice for the material. I suspected knowing him because he did this on his run on Daredevil that he would dig into the history of the characters and pay out fan service in a way that a lot of fans aren't even going to get. A lot of the fans who are complaining, the quote unquote fans who are complaining about the show before they've seen a frame of it, before they've seen even an image of the show, they're not even going to get some of the references to the the kind of fan service that Kevin was going to pay out. And I won't go into the to Daredevil to the Daredevil run that he did with Joe Quesada, I would I would say go to Amazon, find that volume and read it because it's some of the best Daredevil writing I've ever read. And I, I, I mean, I'm not a huge Daredevil fan, but I found it quite compelling. And and one of the things that fans were really expecting and fans at the time wanted him to do with that, they're like, you're going to bring Elektra back, aren't you? And he was like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not going to touch that story. That's not, I can't do it better than Frank Miller did it. I can only mess that up. And so when I heard he was going to do He-Man and when I heard he was going to, oh, but actually, I, I didn't think this when I heard he was going to do Superman but I thought I thought well you know he's he knows where to go with these things and like he knows where he can push it he knows where he can't push it um and and so I, I thought he was an ideal choice and I thought the writing was going to be pretty witty and as I was watching I was watching I, I watched episode one and two again today and I bet some of these fans who were complaining haven't watched the show in years you know, what what they want is their idealized version of it that they think they that, that, that's in their head that they haven't you know they don't watch uh, they haven't watched <laughs> it but they have this idea of how it made them feel when they were kids but the writing on the filmation show was so punny P-U-N-N-Y and yes. And silly. Uh, the insults were preposterously bad. They were great as they were delivered by the actors who played Skeletor and some of the other characters who would be bad guys. That people forget that shit. I, I don't know what they're thinking about when they're worrying about like how Kevin Smith might mess up the show when. <sighs> This will make some fans, man. You can't, and and it's not entirely true either. You can almost not do anything but go upward and onward and to greater heights when you're going to build on the filmation show. Now, there is a caveat, and that caveat is the Dolph Lundgren movie. Which sort of violates what I just what I just said, but but you almost can't help but to improve on that show. Now the other thing that that happens too when when uh, fans uh, I think some of these fans like look back with nostalgia colored glasses is that they forget how many different like it wasn't all He Man fighting Skeletor all the time. It wasn't all He Man being the hero in every episode, and it wasn't all Skeletor being the bad guy or even Skeletor's henchman being the bad guy. There are a host of other bad actors in Eternia and by. Uh, 
you know, trying to mess everything up. And it so there was this larger rogues gallery that that I, I was curious about how Kevin Smith was going to deal with any of that, if he did deal with any of that. And he doesn't really deal with some of those non-toy villains in the new movie. Um, can, uh, can we linger for a moment here? Yeah. Uh, and and, ba- and uh, back up for just a second, uh, because well, I mean, one of the things that I did not mention, or that we did not mention, that I wanted to at least give a nod to, and uh, because you said you had the He-Man and the She-Ra series, like you owned it. Yeah, I, I think it was the She-Ra pilot, guest starring He-Man. Am I right? Yeah. That had a big impact on me as a kid, okay. because I felt with the introduction of Hordak. Yeah. And Hordak as Skeletor's mentor, and that Skeletor came from Hordak's universe, that that was a really great addition to the mythology that had already been established. We knew Skeletor came from someplace else. Yeah. yeah. And then suddenly we meet Hordak, who I loved Hordak as well, by the way. Uh, Great design. Great design and a great villain. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I liked his little crew with their, and they all had the red bat on them and so forth. Um, I I had all those guys, but that's another example though, isn't it? The the pilot of She-Ra, not only the introduction of She-Ra, but just expanding on the universe that Skeletor came from, yeah, yeah. Introducing this new vent, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. There's this giant universe that that like fans don't seem to care about when they're whining through their nostalgia beer. And and for me, I I I think that I thought that Kevin Smith was going to be fine. And so I guess that brings me a little bit to the delivery of the of the series itself in aggregate. I think he does a lot of things right. I don't have any complaints about his choices of who to add to the show, his choices about expanding on the mythology. I, you know, in, in fact, I'll, I'll say this right now. I think the way that he fleshes out the mythology and the world building is it's it's almost unnecessarily good. It is really wonderful the way he builds Eternian mythology, Praternia, the heavy heaven and hell of Eternia. When we saw this, well, I think, I don't remember when Jason first said this, but he was so happy that, and I'm going to reveal a little something, I guess, about the show specifically, the twin swords, the the sword of power is made of two parts. And that's revealed for the first time in any of the series, uh, any of the motion series, uh, motion picture series, the pictures that move in. Anyway, you guys get what I'm trying to say. We, that's the, that's the mini comic mythology coming to the fore. the first, First time since then. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're going to get paid out. Uh, it seems like I'm anyway, so I don't want to say more about what's going to get paid out. We'll talk about that in the other series in, in the, in the, in our detailed notes about this show, but we don't get anything from this show that wasn't hinted at in the filmation series. Nothing is out of the blue. There's no, it's not, it's, I, I think a lot of fans of He-Man thought they were going to get another very queer friendly show like She-Ra and folks, I think everybody, if you haven't seen the Netflix Shira show, don't stop this podcast just yet. Uh, finish this episode, then go watch that whole series. It's amazing. It's a beautiful show. It it takes Shira in a bunch of new directions, and I think that Shira had some wiggle room in a way that I'm not sure He Man did. I mean, and judging by the fan response, didn't have. If Kevin Smith had tried to do with with He Man what the creators of, she, of the new Shira show did with that, I'm not saying that the fans would have had a good case to not watch it or to dislike it. I don't know if you should dislike or hate a show until you've seen it. In fact, I don't think you should. We'll get into that in a minute. But 
judging by the the fan response to what's come out, I think it would have been a mistake for Mattel to try to really radically reimagine He-Man. So Jason, I'm sorry, I'm rambled and I haven't given you a chance to ramble back, but I'm going to ask you a question. Do you think that there's any radical reimagining of anything in this new show that is out of bounds that you were like, what the fuck, that's stupid. How could you even go there with this show? Is there anything in this show that you were, you were like, no, I can't go there with this show. Uh, I can answer that in one word. No, yep. absolutely. A- absolutely not. The, uh, this show could be seen as a soft reboot that captures the spirit of all the stories, except the Dolph Lundgren movie that we've talked about, which meant something to me. Yeah. Or it could be seen absolutely as a direct sequel to the Filmation series. Yeah. With just certain relationships being fleshed out. Yeah. It, it absolutely it absolutely acts in that way. It's a better sequel reboot than Superman Returns. There's nothing that confuses me. There's some things that confuse me in the Brian Singer Superman movie. Like, is this a reboot? Is this a is this a sequel? What why is I, I scratch my head a lot at that. There was, there was no point where I scratched my head at this series. As a He-Man fan, as somebody who loves the hokey, a saccharine, sometimes goofy filmation series, for me, this series is basically taking that show and allowing it, allowing all of the elements of that show to mature into a show that kids today would watch. Yeah, um, and 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 just builds on it. Yeah, uh, yeah, builds on what you knew. It doesn't replace what you knew. It, it, it builds on it. I actually feel like that I can talk a bit about my own experience because absolutely. I I feel like that for any people listening to this podcast who maybe are Masters of the Universe fans and who've had a doubt about watching this cartoon and they they've tuned into our podcast uh, just to try to see what people think think of it yeah just have some doubts about watching it those doubts should be dispelled and and I speak from experience because you just mentioned Max uh, Superman returns and I I would say that there are two instances in my life in which I also had doubts about what was being done with a franchise that I loved and my reaction to the to the two instances taught me a great deal uh, the first one was Superman returns uh, as as long-time listeners of Max and Jason watch a movie will know, I am rather annoying in my devotion to Richard Donner's Superman film from 1978. Amen. Unfor- <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, Brian Singer shares my annoying devotion. And when I heard that he was going to make a soft reboot of the 78 Donner film and was going to make a film in the spirit of that film, I was very excited and I could not wait to watch it. And I watched it and I discovered that Brian Singer, true to form, true to what he and I share, did exactly what I wanted him to do. And it didn't work. And I realized, oh, that movie was already made. We don't need to make that again. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was done perfectly the first time. I love that Brian Singer loves it. I understood why he did what he did. I, I don't hold it against him. But what I learned from watching Superman Returns, which is not a terrible movie. No. But it's not as good as a 1978 Richard Donner film. And I, and it wanted to be. It yeah. wanted to kind of replace it with updated effects, and it didn't. And I realized, oh, okay, reimaginings are good. And so I learned that, and that's how I've become very open to new interpretations of Superman, because what basically what I've learned, Christopher Reeve will never be replaced. And that means that you can't do that. You can't do Christopher Reeve anymore. You've got to go somewhere else. And we, we've done that and, 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 and it, it has worked with, uh, 
things that the DCEU has done well. The other thing that I would bring up was when I was a child, I absolutely adored Battlestar Galactica, the original show. I, I never missed it. I ordered the Marvel comic through the mail, oh, wow. and, I re- and I read it with glee. In fact, and this is weird to say this, in 1979-1980, I probably liked Battlestar Galactica and Star Wars equally. Okay, okay. Uh, you, know, you have Starbuck, Han Solo, to me they were the same person. Apollo and Luke Skywalker, same person, even though Apollo didn't have a lightsaber. I, I, I just, I saw the things as being very connected. The Viper, the X-Wing, it was all great. And so uh, when I heard that the Sci-Fi Channel was going to bring Battlestar Galactica back, I was briefly excited. I then heard that they were going to make a lot of changes. And I reacted in kind of this instinctual defense of my childhood. I won't like it. That was my reaction. I won't like it. And I stayed away from it for a long time. It was probably two or three seasons in that I actually opened an an issue of, uh, I think it was Entertainment Weekly, in which they rated the best science fiction shows of all time. And the the sci-fi channel Battlestar Galactica was number two. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, well, you have my attention. And, and I kind of read the synopsis and I realized, wow, they've taken the original idea of the show and they did not, they didn't get rid of it. Yep. They didn't get rid of it. They just reimagined it. And the synopsis that I read was enough to make me think, okay, maybe this show has something for me. Mm-hmm. And I watched it. I devoured it. I was addicted to it. It it might be my favorite science fiction show ever. Okay. And but 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 I but I told you that story to tell you this that my initial reaction to to uh, to the Superman series and to the Battlestar Galactica mythology was was kind of fundamentally uh, preservative or conservative. Yeah, I I didn't want to see change. I didn't know that I actually did want to see change. What I didn't want is I didn't want my original, I didn't want what I love to be replaced. And what, what I learned from that experience was what you love doesn't get replaced. You just simply get to go to new places. Yep. And if you allow yourself to do that, then you get to have all of it. Yes, yes, yes. Well, no, and that actually makes a lot of sense. And I had I had a similar revelation when, uh, and I, this also kind of gave me some insights into fan culture, uh, also relating to Star Wars, I think, a little bit, uh, when we got this episode seven, eight, and nine, when everybody was kind of complaining a little bit about Force Awakens and saying, well, we've seen this before, we've this is the story we've seen before, and uh, everybody was kind of complaining. It was, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I didn't mind it. I, it was done well, so I didn't mind any of that. And I kept saying to myself, well, I also kind of want something different. So I'm hoping with the next movie, we get something a little new. And then when the next film came out, The Last Jedi, my first viewing of it, I was a little bit, oh, I don't think I like it. But then as I was watching it, and I watched it the second time, I was like, oh, you know what? This is actually different. This is a different Star Wars movie. Right. And when I was watching complaints about this, everybody was mad that Luke wasn't the same. Everybody was mad that we weren't getting the similar beats from the old show. And so what I noticed is like people often will say they want something new and different, but they don't really want something new and different, you know? And that was another, that was another insight into fan culture. But so I see that reaction a little bit here too, with the He-Man show and, and a lot of other stuff as well, you know, like people claim they want something new and fresh and different, but when they get new and fresh, and different 
different, you know, they lose their mind and, and they're like, this is new and fresh and different. I hate it. Right. Well, or, or they don't wa- or they don't watch it. Exactly. Exactly. And, <laughs> say, and say they hate it. Yeah, exactly. And that's the other thing that we're seeing here a little bit, too. And that, that certainly happened also with Force Awakens, uh, Force Awakens, but it happened with The Last Jedi and uh, and the, the subsequent Star Wars film where there was there seemed to be some kind of concerted campaign to trash the films. But here we're also seeing some of that as well with the revelations and people kind of having this little war with what they want. And, and I think that's interesting to delve into. And I think and Jason and I are going to get into that after we've covered the the series. We're going to kind of talk a little bit about fan culture and hopefully come to some conclusions about fan culture at the end of the Revelation review. So, but there was nothing in this show that, that made you go like, oh, this doesn't jibe, right? There, there was not one thing. There was not one thing. I felt from start to finish that the central drama of the Eternia, I don't want to say royal family because, you know, uh, the uh, King Randor and Queen Marlena are actually not in, not in the... We never find out what happens to them. I wonder I wonder if we will at some point. But, I um, but go ahead. The overall theme of the Masters of the Universe from day one is always central in every single frame of this cartoon. Yeah. Every single frame. Absolutely. And I'll go one better. So like the old show wasn't tied to continuity. One of the things I liked about this was the maturity of the storytelling. So it takes everything. I felt that it, for me, as a He-Man fan, folks, I go to bed sometimes just listening to these episodes, these old filmation episodes, just kind of in the background. When I'm about to kind of, when I'm feeling like I want to kind of relax and I'm not a nap taker per se, but sometimes I like to sit down and kind of have a break from things and I will watch He-Man and the Master of the Universe. It's something I can kind of let my brain check out on, but also kind of just enjoy as a kind of background stimulus. But this show takes everything that I love and still love about that old show. And like I said, it matures it like fine whiskey, which Jason and I also know a lot about. and, and and now we have a continuity and a, and kind of a compelling story. Not kind of. I, 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 let me strike that from the record. This is a very compelling story. And there are reveals with this new mythology that I was just like mind blown. This is, I thought this was a great way to expand on what is in Castle Grayskull. We don't ever really know. We don't ever get to see that much in the old show. There's these teasing bits in the storytelling about about stories to come, uh, about where the about where this story might go for Tila. There are some fan complaints about like everybody was worried that the Tila was going to become the new He Man and uh, that the show was going to be all about Tila. And I'll be honest, and I didn't know where it was going to go with this show. This show does have a lot of Tila. You know, she's she's our protagonist in this half of the story. So the naysayers, to the extent that they are right about anything, they're right about that Teela is the protagonist of this 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 story so far of part one but folks that isn't out of line with the filmation show there are a, a handful of episodes where Teela is the protagonist there are a handful of episodes where Teela and Evelyn team up they're referenced in this series those episodes are referenced in the series they don't spend a lot of time on it that's just for fans like me who fucking watch a lot of filmation He-Man and <laughs> and so it's this kind of nice mature maturing of this of this set of characters so to me like people are like well Tilo's the hero of the show go fuck yourself she was a hero in the old show in the mini comic book she is a really important powerful warrior go ahead jason you raise no i um um, you're right Tila is the protagonist of the cartoon no doubt about it no doubt about it and and rightly so however 
The reason that this cartoon is so great is because it actually behaves, instead of being a vehicle for a character, it's more like Tolkien-type storytelling. In the sense, in the sense, and I think you'll agree with this, especially, uh, I think you'll agree with this, but look, uh, uh, listeners to this podcast, you've all watched the Lord of the Rings movies, you know how awesome they are. Clearly, clearly the He-Man-type figure of the Lord of the Rings films is Aragorn. And, and, and he's portrayed in such a way, he becomes the king. One could easily say that he's the protagonist of the film, but he isn't. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Fro- Frodo is the protagonist of the Lord of the Rings. And I'm not saying that Tila is a Frodo character because she's not. She's a warrior in ways that Frodo is not. That's not my point. That's not my point. My point is, is that the Lord of the Rings is about this event that occurs and the various characters and how they play their role in it. And some characters play a bigger role. Some play, some characters play a smaller role. And the role that they play says something about them. Yep. In other words, it's character driven. That's what this cartoon is about. Tila is front and center. No doubt about it. But this is really about this event in the history of Eternia in which... I guess I would kind of say that there's kind of this this ending of this cycle of hero versus villain, which if you watch the cartoon, they kind of they kind of lean into that, that there's this this long battle of good versus evil on Eternia. And and He-Man in some ways kind of brings it to an end. And this cartoon's about the aftermath of that. That's what this this cartoon's about that. And huh? Tila is Tila is the character who has to make sense of it. She's the character that we need to do that. So if you watch the Filmation show, and I'm aiming this a little bit at fanboys, which I don't think many of them have done, and, and that is of He-Man's friends. Folks, I'm not revealing anything here that isn't that you shouldn't already know, especially if you're a bitchy fanboy. And if you, yeah, it would be the reason you haven't watched it if you yeah. haven't. The only person who doesn't know, if my hypothesis is wrong about He-Man and everybody knowing that Prince Adam is He-Man and just letting him have this little, oh, Prince Adam's having a little secret, everybody. So if my hypothesis about that is wrong, there's only one person important to He-Man, important to Prince Adam, that doesn't know that secret. And that's his friend, maybe best friend. This show implies his best friend, maybe more than his best friend. That's Tila. As a viewer of the show, I was always wanting her to be let in on the secret she is uh, so i'm gonna i'm gonna say this now about the show she is let in on the secret in this series yeah after the fact and we see it happen for her and audience i almost cried when this happened because it's so well done because this is a mature version of the the so it's so real in a way that a child show wouldn't do no, and it couldn't, 1980, 1984, 1983, 1982, when this show was going, it couldn't do this. Here, though, it is Sarah Michelle Gellar's voice acting and the animation combined to make a really emotional moment when she realizes, okay, everything I've thought about my world is a lie. And all these people close to me have participated in keeping me out of the truth. We'll get into this later as we kind of delve into the show. I think that the drama at the heart of this show is so well done. Kevin Smith has picked a very interesting way to dive into Eternian mythology and and, and this He-Man Masters of the Universe mythos. Uh, at the end of part one, I was like, well, that was the way you had to do it. Did you feel that Tila was the optimal character to take? I mean, there's only, I mean, she's the she's the dramatic lever, I think, for the for the story. Um, I, I think there's no doubt about that. Well, first of all, she's of Adam's 
generation. Yeah. So she's so so she's young. Yeah. You know, man at arms is older. He's part of the old guard. Yeah, yeah. And uh, um, and 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 really, this cartoon. And I mean, you know, I'm going to say this, and this might scare people away, and it shouldn't. Is it about a changing of the guard? Yes. The, the plot of this cartoon does not suggest that that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, Eternia falls into a tailspin. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh well. Um, I, the, yeah. The beginning of the show is disaster. That's where we begin, right? Uh, so. There's actually almost slight, very slight. This might not have been intended because it's very slight, but I would actually compare it to Christopher Nolan's Batman series. Okay. Because, because especially the, the two sequels yep. in which Batman and Commissioner Gordon decide that the lie is more important for the people than the truth. Absolutely. And then, and then the film asks, and then those films ask the question, were they right? Absolutely. Were they right? Absolutely. And that's what that's what this cartoon is about. Well, the cartoon this cartoon takes the the conceits of the filmation show and then puts them in this mature setting and then asks questions about those conceits. Should Prince Adam keep these secrets? Should should everybody have kept Tila out of it? Yes. It asks questions. It does not answer them. No. You can watch this cartoon and you can come to your own conclusions as to who you agree with. Yeah. I think. I know I, I agree. I agree. The other thing that happens as you're watching this, and I don't know if you got this since, but so a few, uh, I'd say a few years ago, but I probably mean like a decade or two ago, Jason got me intrigued by the classics uh, at least five years ago. I mean, a little longer than that. Maybe I'll say a decade ago in the Iliad, in the Odyssey. And I slowly came around and Beowulf as well. And I read these books and it was strange to me as I was watching this series that I was drawing comparisons and connections to these classic works of literature and this story. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know how intentional that was or if it's just one of the happens, if it's just the kind of happenstance of writing a hero story that you want to be compelling and you're kind of stumbling upon these Cam, Cam, Campellian, Cam, Campbell, Campbell, Campbell? Campbell, Campbellian, yeah. yeah. Yeah, kinds of truisms about telling hero stories. But I mean, I even thought about the Epic of Gilgamesh as I was watching this. I mean, I don't want to get too far ahead of us here, but I mean, like the mythological beats of the Odyssey of, the Iliad, uh, but especially those those questing hero journey stories of mythology, they're all hit in here. I, I thought of the Odyssey a lot. Actually. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That one especially. And, and and Jason and I have a maybe he and I'll have a debate about this and we'll do an audience poll to see who wins the debate about which story is better, the Iliad or the Odyssey. Uh Jason has a wrong opinion about that. I have a right opinion about that. But but I thought about the Odyssey a lot as I was watching this movie, this this diced up movie. And, and so so I want the audience, I hope the audience listening to this thinks about the fact that we went there. We went to fucking Homer while watching He-Man. And, and I and I agree completely, yeah. And Jason is a classicist. I mean, like he is, I mean, he knows more about all this shit than I, about the classics than I do. I mean, he'll email him and he'll waste your time for email <laughs> after email talking about the importance of the opening stanzas of the Iliad. I swear to God, he'll waste a whole fucking night <laughs> <laughs> but but that's where I went with this. So I didn't I didn't mind it. I thought that was all great the way Kevin Smith took that. But in addition to doing great storytelling, I think he also captured the essential silliness of the original series with the the puns, the 
some of the names of things like the 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 first adventure that Tila goes off on with Andra after leaving the court, right? Mm-hmm. The where they get the glove. And there's a lot of funny the the glove of Glabra. I can't remember what it is, but it's really funny. I liked all of that. And I, I was just baffled by the fact that, that there seemed to be fans upset that Tila was was the protagonist of this part. And I also think that that the show clearly indicates that part two is going to just be ramped up and we're going to get a lot more of He-Man in the second part. I, I sense that that's coming up in the next in the uh, part two. I I I would like that. Uh, but if the, but if they don't do that and what we do get is good, yeah, it, it won't matter because because I, I guess that's the thing is that the story is good. Yes. No, wait, no what, what? Wait, that's an understatement. The story is amazing, mm-hmm. and it uses the mythology very well, and it creates a world that I want to continue to, to inhabit. Which actually, you know, you mentioned the Iliad and the Odyssey and Homer, and we could talk about Greek mythology. As a child, I love Greek mythology, as you know. Yeah, and and those stories created worlds that I wanted to go back to again and again and again and again. And when a story is that good, Tolkien comes to mind. Yeah, you, you do want to go back again and again and again and again, and and you and you and you you yearn for where it will take you next. Yeah, and and you sometimes become sad when it can't or doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, um, he may, so Masters of the Universe finally is taking us further down the path. It is a familiar path. It does fit everything that we have seen before. But now we get to get on that path again. And we get to go down a little bit further and we get to see more. And everyone should be really excited about it. Well, I think so. I think, well, I watched this tonight. I watched episodes one and two with my wife. I didn't watch it yet. My wife is not a He-Man fan. which She doesn't hate He-Man or anything like that. But but she hadn't watched it. She She's not a fan of the filmation show. And that's a reasonable thing to be. So I... So, so but my wife watched it and she really liked it. She really liked episodes one and two. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to state something that I think is valid for a He-Man fans of the filmation show who are mature individuals like ourselves. This is the show that we wanted in 82, 83, 84, 85 when we were watching the filmation show when we got home from school. This yeah. is the show we wanted, right? Oh, uh, totally agree. Totally agree. I, I, I actually, um, and, and I mean, that's, I saw intimations of what I wanted when I watched Voltron at the same yeah. time. And Voltron would have story arcs. And of course, you and I were readers of comics even then. Yeah. And com- the comics we were reading had story arcs. Voltron had story arcs. Yeah. And and I was kind of interested in that. And so that's probably what actually I started to kind of sour on the cartoon because I watched it religiously for a long time. Yeah. But I, I finally soured on it because it's like, well, you know, really it does... It, it doesn't do what the comic books, what, what comic books do in yeah. general, the, the, the ones that I'm buying. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and Voltron kind of does that. So I kind of liked Voltron for that reason. And I, I began kind of looking for cartoons that did that. Yeah. And there were some cartoons that promised that and then, and then didn't deliver and Thundercats comes to mind. Yeah. That's been mentioned several times today, but I, I, I think we're living in an exciting time because people like Kevin Smith and he's not the only one, no, no. but, but uh, there's a lot of people about our age who grew up with the same shit we grew up with yeah and who are better writers than you and I yeah. and and they and they realize well you know that's what I want to do that's what I want to do that's the you know I want to make the kind of thing that I would have watched yeah um and and I'm going to assume that there's all these people out there my age who think like me that they want it too 
And I think those and I think those instincts are absolutely right. And actually, I agree with you about the fanboys. I might be a little bit more missionary like to them because of what I told you about my experience yeah. with Battlestar Galactica. Because, you know, in Battle, I mean, that was that was 12, 13 years ago now. And I'm older and wiser. Um, but I I really think it's a mistake to dismiss anything. Yeah. Watch it and and see what the story does to you. Yeah. And and and, and be open to the story and and, and and then and then say what you think. And and, and people may disagree with you, yeah. and that's fine. I mean, that's you know, everyone brings themselves to a story. Absolutely. I mean, I I, I mean I think that you have to do that, but don't 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 dismiss a story just because it doesn't fit what you expect or or, or want because it will not erase what came before. I mean, I still love I I guess it might be a little embarrassing. I still love the 1979 Battlestar Galactica. Oh, I, I, I think I think it was a good show. Oh but, no, I, I think so too. But it does not hold a candle to the sci-fi uh, uh, series, the, the, the sci-fi channel series. And, uh, and that's okay. But I think, but I think, but I do think that it's age that's taught me that. And so I guess that I want to be just a little bit more encouraging. Well, yeah. Yeah. yeah because th- that, you know, if, if you're someone that has a lot of doubts about uh, Masters of the Universe Revelation, wipe those doubts away and, and watch it. And maybe you won't like it. Yep. Maybe, maybe you won't. And that's but, fair. That's fair. But but if you open yourself to it, I think that I think that you might be really inspired, and you might you might join us in a great conversation, and we'll uh, we'll be waiting for you. Absolutely. And so so I yeah, that's, that's something. I mean, I I've sounded pretty harsh, I'm sure, to fanboys, and in part because I think that they're sometimes uh, just tremendously negative, and and they seem fan culture can seem quite entitled to me. What I would what I would caution, I would I would I would piggyback on what you said, and kind of caution people on their own bias. As you said, take the new story as it is. And is it a good story? Is it well told? Yes. And then decide. Now, is it different from what you grew up with? Maybe it is. But as you said, you can still have that. One of the things, and and I, I can't quote him directly, Ian McKellen who knows a thing or two about being in adaptations of popular material, once said something to me that that helped me mature, I think, as you just were talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was like talking about how different mediums tell different stories and they do different things and different creators do different things. And and he was like, if you want those stories that you love and you don't want to change, they're always there. Yes. In It's like, if you want that story from the comic book, well, go get in. He didn't say this. I'm paraphrasing. Go get into your comic book box and read and dig up those issues that you love. If you want Tolkien as Tolkien wrote him, you have the volumes on your bookshelf, multiple copies, sometimes leather bound, sometimes in small travel sizes. I, I may be talking for myself here but in in the number of editions of lord of the rings that people have but if you want that exact experience they're in the book a movie can't do what's in the book so you have a different way of enjoying this story that you love and sometimes they tell differently that like you said those stories are still there for you we yeah. the beauty of all this is that we get all this now maybe you love she-ra from the 1980s and you're curious about the new she-ra show well go fucking watch it and see what you think is it compelling now i watched the new she-ra and, and the old she-ra and i love them both and i 
I love the new interpretation. I love how now there are a lot of people who were like, oh, she was she was gay. And, and I'm like, OK, so what is the story good? Is the drama of, of Adora coming to grips with her power and her importance in Etheria? Is this well told? Are the characters neat? And I'm sure that this is how you approached He-Man, this new He-Man. Yeah. And is it well done? Well, yeah, it is. And, yeah, and, that's, no. and that's what happened. That's what happened for me here. Now, as Jason just said, and I, I may be belaboring the point here, maybe you don't like it, but don't prejudge it until you've fucking seen it. Yeah, and 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 let the story speak to you, and then you can join us yeah. uh, and have a and have a drink and 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 talk about it, and and that's fine. Yeah. If you if you don't like it, but I for me it's. Um, this is Masters of the Universe Revelation. Uh, and I guess, you know, I, I don't think that you were hard on anybody. Yeah. I just think that I'm, I think that you've always been a little bit more open than me. Yeah. And I think that what I was describing was that with Battlestar Galactica, for instance, I I was like the Masters of the Universe Revelation haters yeah. 13 years ago. And so so I understand that and I understand why it's mistaken. And, and, I, and I think that that's... Yeah. that's I think that's what I'm saying. And and to add to that, you know, when I was a child, I loved Starbuck and uh, Dirk Benedict was a great Starbuck. If I uh, uh, daydreamed in my old age, which I, don't, which I don't do anymore, but if I did and I imagined that I was uh, a Battlestar Galactica character, I would imagine that I was Starbuck and I would be Dirk Benedict. Yeah. So, so shout out to Dirk Benedict. You were a great Starbuck. Katie Sackhoff is Starbuck. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, and, yeah. and, and, and that's the thing that, that's the thing that I learned. But the point that I'm saying is that I still love Dirk Benedict. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I still love the original show. It's still there. I would watch both of them. Maybe, maybe, maybe I was afraid that people would forget about the original, or that I would forget about the original. And that doesn't happen. No, it so doesn't. I, it doesn't yeah. happen. And so, is there anything else you want to say tonight about the shows? You know, look, we are front loading a verdict. Really, really, we are. I mean, there's some details that I think that we should save till after we've discussed all the ins and outs and the the meat and potato the meat potatoes of it I, th I think what I'm hoping for is that if there's people that have doubts about the cartoon, they listen to what we're talking about, that they'll watch it. Yeah. And then after they watch it, they'll listen to the other episodes, see the specifics about well, why we think it's a great story. I think so. And here's what I'll say before we close the episode tonight. What's going to happen with this, if fanboys and haters and naysayers and people who are, as you say, maybe nervous about the new show. Right. This is what's going to happen. It's going to build to following because people are going to slowly come if if things don't change we're going to get part two that's already in the bank that's already done it's already in the books and they're gonna they're they're finishing it up now we're going to get that i want more than these first two parts i think you know maybe i'll be wrong oh, maybe, oh, maybe, oh, yeah. maybe maybe something will really crazy crazy happen at the end and i'll be like well that's just stupid i don't like it but i don't anticipate that given part one my worry for fans and for people who love he-man is that the haters are going to be like it's too woke they don't want to watch it but more and more people are going to come to it and it's going to build a following yeah but by the time it builds its following netflix might have moved on we're not going to do this anymore because the the fan the negative fan response was so bad so i would urge people give the show a chance now maybe you don't like it and that's valid but make sure that you see it 
and watch it, take it in, critique it as somebody who's watched it, and give it give the show a chance before you predetermine that it's woke, too woke for you, that it's whatever it is that you don't, that whatever a negative thing it is you think it is, give it a shot. And then, because at some point, I think that there will there would be some kind of uh, a tipping point where people will be like, oh, this show, I, I like the show. This sort of happened with the reboot of Thundercats. This sort of happened with the Mike Young E-Man of the 2000s. Okay. It slowly built a following, but, but by the time it did, it was too late. This sort of happened with Arrested Development. Now, because of the nature of the new streaming, uh, that can be overcome. Uh, but it took a few years. Maybe people move on and they don't want to do it again. And like, who could blame people who were involved in this for not, uh, who maybe wouldn't want to come back, judging by fan response? I would say, give this show a shot and then and join us on the journey of discussing He-Man, Ma- uh, uh, sorry, Masters of the Universe Revelation. And and we've got a lot to say about the show. A lot to say about, but we've got a lot to say about the show. Anything you want to say before we close it out, Jason? No, I think uh, I'm pretty happy with what we've discussed. All right, that's, that's, that's front-loaded, audience. <laughs> This, this episode is going to be called Front Loaded. Share us on social media. Share us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Give us a five-star review at Apple Podcasts. It helps us to get noticed. Uh, visit my last week's co-host at her Instagram on Solo. And yeah, join us on this He-Man journey. I think you're going to have fun. We're having fun with the show. And, oh, and hello, Kevin Smith. I know you're going to listen to this episode. That's we right. Love you. Love you're you. Invi- you're invited to be a guest host as well. I will try to send Kevin Smith an email. Email. We are a new nascent podcast, so I don't anticipate that he would join the show. But maybe we'll get like a—he's a, he's a cool guy. He might. We might get a best boy from He-Man or a key <laughs> grip or something. Uh, Jason, are you watching anything that people need to watch right now? What did you do? This- uh, I I I just started season two of Lupin, which I still would recommend to you and anybody else uh, who's a human. Okay, it's a great show. Not to non-humans. Jason's a bit of a specious guy. <laughs> Am I watching anything? What did I watch recently? I've been watching Making the Cut, which is a fashion competition show with my wife, Jessica. She's got me wrapped up in it. And I thought that's because you were drunk. No, really no. Really watching it. Really watching it. And, uh, <laughs> I'm sort of invested. I, I, I'm i a little ashamed of it, but it's kind of a fun show. I kind of like it that the people aren't mean. I, I don't like reality competition shows where people are mean to one another. Yeah. I, I, I'm constantly rooting for humanity to pull through and constantly worried that we probably won't. Sorry to end on a downer, guys. Do you know where to contact us? Night. At two. One. Sidebar. Folks, this is... It is uh, three. Two. One. I was well into my cups when I pivoted to co-host Anya and said, hey, can you jump in? See, that's very interesting that you say that. All right, we'll, we'll figure it out, all right? Um, so, all right, three. Whoa, wait, wait so, uh, send, send. Uh, I've scheduled an argument with you. Technical difficulties are a problem. Yeah, I, I, I was I was in the middle of, of uh, saying something, something earth-shatteringly brilliant when suddenly there was a, a, a large... Uh, crash behind me and and initially i was annoyed and i just thought you know i wanted to shout keep it down or something like that and then i turned around and i saw the router hanging uh uh, from the shelf that it was on and i realized wait a minute that's the internet (laughs) and then (laughs) oh you froze up